If you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Lights Pod. This is the first time we've ever seen anybody in a skybox that actually had a sense of creativity, humor. (laughs) Jeff said it looks like the goddamn fucking Hollywood Squares up there. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett! Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs the definitive live pearl jam podcast and it is jam packed this week guys a lot to talk about well we're doing a show from 2003 in pittsburgh and it's a great show we will get to all the details of that but we have to start out with what's newsworthy what's current what's on all of our minds it's the tour the tour announcement got dropped last week and we know what's coming We have our plans set for this September, going back again on tour. And I think we got to talk about, we put out a reaction episode earlier this week. So if you want to check it out, please do, because that is going to go more in depth than we're going to go in here. So that should help you guys if you're looking for a greater conversation, a greater sense of what we're expecting on tour and all that. But we will get to talking about that. And then I'm going to talk about the Seattle trip that wasn't. And we'll get into all different things about 2003 in Pittsburgh, I promise. All right. Randy Sobel over here. John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. Hi, buddy. Tour is back. It sure is. I yeah. think I had mentioned it at the very end of one of the episodes a couple weeks ago, like, announce the tour. Yeah. And, uh, and and here we are. We've we've got shows again. Hey, if I have anybody to thank for that, I guess it's you. To, hey, I, I, I wish I could take credit for this. I think it was manifested just throughout the community. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we knew that something was coming, building off of, of what they did last year. Everyone wanted to see you know, something happened. And as you were starting to see other bands announce their summer tours and fall tours and everything, you were kind of waiting like, okay, Pearl Jam, come on, come on, let's do it. And we got it. And like, I'm a little bit more lukewarm on it than you are because I will not be able to attend any of the shows. They're once again, not coming down to my hometown area, which I will continue to make little jokes about. But 
you know, you're going to get to go to some shows. So yeah, it's exciting for the podcast. We're going to get to talk about set lists and all that stuff again and get back on the horse. So yeah, it's, it's nice to have something in the front to look forward to. I'm just looking forward to seeing everybody again. Last year was great. Like, well, I, there's a specific moment that I remember from last year after I came back from St. Louis the next day. Like, I was feeling so overjoyed. It was such a great show. So many stories that happened from that day and night. And I took an Uber home from the airport. And the minute I got home, I, I went out. I, I got the mail and all that. And look, I live in this condo area. I don't know everybody. It's just one of those things. Like, we're kind of on the younger scale of, you know, the range of the people that live here. But I remember just going to the mailbox and seeing somebody that lives around here and we kind of just like stared at each other like, eh, eh. and I'm thinking like, I said hi to every single person. I shook their hand or hugged every single person I met. Yet this person that I've sort of seen, you know, on and off every week for the last four or five years, I don't have anything to say to it's just so weird and it makes me think like that's how strong our community is that's how much we're bonded because and i've never seen community as being like a local thing i've seen it as being a what you share in common thing and you know from the minute that you go to the pearl jam show you understand that you are around those type of people and it's intoxicating like this is why we go back to all this because i'm going to use this word again it's a family reunion. It's a family reunion every time you go out there because there are people that maybe you saw the last show. There are people that maybe you haven't seen for a decade. And everything kind of comes full circle. And I can't wait. It just feels like one big party, spring break for adults or something like that. And I just can't wait to go to Chicago and Dallas-Fort Worth and see the band and see everybody. So um, I'm excited for it. Yeah, there are nine dates. wasn't as much as last year, but I think that's it's probably a good number. We talk a lot about that on the reaction episodes. So I don't want to get into that too much further. So yeah, we're all excited about that, and what we're excited about the most is being able to go and meet you. Come and find us. Well, me, because I'll be out. Johnny won't be out, but us is the greater community of this podcast and just community in general. So hope to see you guys all out on tour i want to yeah i kind of mentioned before i just want to just address this now for people that i know that have been listening in week in and week out i was not able to make my seattle trip this past weekend uh, things just pop up and things happen when you least expect them and when your child who's less than two years old has breathing problems and needs to be admitted to the hospital for two nights like I, he obviously needed me, my wife needed me more than the Rockfords or Mopop needed me. Like, I'm super disappointed that I missed all that stuff, but, like, my kid's happy right now. So that's satisfying for me. And, you know, I, I'm not here to apologize to anybody. I'm just sort of setting the record straight on why all that content didn't happen because I was ready to go full on that i really was i'm disappointed it didn't happen but i'm happy that my kid is feeling healthy and pretty good right now so i think that's a good trade-off huh yeah i mean you're still gonna have priorities you know family's always gonna come first i think you made the right choice on that yeah just wanted to share that with you guys if you weren't on social media and all that so there you go 
Okay, let's talk a little bit about, and we're going to get to Michael, who requested this show and has a Horizon Leg profile coming up pretty soon that we interviewed him for. And before we get to Michael, let's talk a little bit about the last couple shows, because we are coming off of a little run of the April 2003 shows. We did West Palm Beach. Last week, we did Champagne. So this is two days after Champagne, and... From listening to all these shows, you start to see like little trends of things. Like you start to know, okay, this is what the band is hanging on to. This is what is in their wheelhouse right now. They obviously love playing this. So you kind of have a sense of why they put certain stuff in in set list. You You have a sense of maybe, okay, maybe the first night that we listened to in West Palm Beach, yeah, maybe that performance was fine, but now you get to like a week or two later, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, they turned that up and they kind of went with it there. What are some of the trends that you noticed for this? That Because it's interesting, we don't cover shows this close to each other in back-to-back weeks like this. Right, right. The main thing I noticed, I think, too, is like just the anger in these this run of shows, you know, with what was going on you know, around the world in the Iraq war. And we knew that that was kind of an inevitability at this point. And just to see that kind of build, because like some of the later shows get a lot of the headlines this year, you know, for good reason, there's some great ones leading to your state college and Mansfield and garden, things like that. And then the union Dale show Nassau Coliseum gets a lot of press for being, you know, the one where they kind of lost it and were a little more combative. But I think that that's the thing that like just seeing that build over these shows and like, knowing that that's kind of the underlying theme of like, this is kind of during the time when America was about to go to war and there was nothing we could do about it. Like this kind of that you hear it in Ed's voice and all these shows, the little line changes and things he's talking about, you know, there's kind of a seething kind of undertone to these. It's very interesting. Yeah, no, I definitely got that from this. And I think what's interesting is that like Ed doesn't get fully all out political, but there are hints of it all over the place and it's kind of leading me to think that the ones where he's really really pissed off in are the ones where something happened that day where he read the newspaper and bush said something on tv fox news lied about something like there's going to be a moment in this show where he just goes off about freedom of speech and how we shouldn't be lied to and and all that and that's the direct yeah. yeah right that's a direct aim at fox news and yeah, to see all that kind of develop and still taking place. And you're right. You're starting to see Ed kind of unravel on this. Yeah, it's really interesting to pay attention to. There are a few songs I, I'm going to bring up to that I thought kind of evolved from their other versions that we just listened to. So I think that'll be later in the set. So just hang on to that thought. All right, before we get any further into the show, just want to give a big shout out to our longtime Horizon Leg patron, Michael Fleischer. He's the one who requested us to do this episode, so we took it by request, and hey, what a perfect time to do it, right around the anniversary and within all of this 2003 coverage going on, there was no better time to do it, so... Unfortunately, we were trying to get Michael on the show, and we couldn't make it happen this week. So at some point in the future, you will have a Horizon Leg Profile episode, and we will expand on this show and talk to him about it more. However, he did leave us a little bit of a story that we can tell and share that I will do so right here. 
April 26, 2003 in Pittsburgh was my first Pearl Jam show. I had been a fan since I was four years old when my aunt, who is 12 years older than me and 18 years older than my mom, showed me Pearl Jam Unplugged taped on VHS right after it initially aired. Something clicked in my tiny brain watching the raw energy exploding on stage and I was hooked. I vividly remember when we were assigned 7th grade journal partners when I was in kindergarten. My journal partner asked me what my favorite song was, and I proudly said, Pearl Jam's Jeremy. And he was taken aback, since I'm sure he was expecting something like Raffi. They've been a part of my life forever, and seeing them live for the first time set off another fuse in my head, and I was on a mission to see them as many times as I could. I'm currently at 25 shows, and I'm headed to five more this year on the 2023 U.S. tour. Okay, back to the Pittsburgh show. I will never forget walking in, getting to our seats in the front row of the upper level at Mellon Arena, and just wanting time to fast forward. I was hell-bent that they were going to play Jeremy, so that was all I could think about and hope for. When they walked out on stage, I'm fairly positive I had already lost my voice, but when I heard Small Town kick in, it came back and I belted it. My other core memories from that first set were even flow and watching McCready go nuts and explosive blood, and then a go closer, which has been my favorite song for the longest time. The biggest memory that stands out from the first encore was during a live. A drunk kid climbed up the railing next to us, again, we were in the upper level, balanced himself on the upper rail with his shins, and swayed back and forth during the solo. Holy sh- okay. And I remember thinking, awesome, this will be my first Pearl Jam show and my first time seeing someone die. Okay, well, yeah, I'm glad it didn't happen. But however, if we do fast forward a little bit to that moment, there's something about the sweets all kind of creating a strobe light motion. I don't know if that was in reaction to this, like somebody get help, but I, I, I guess I don't think so. I think it was more rock and roll than that. Anyway. For the second encore, when Ed came out and played You Gotta Hide Your Love Away, I remember being super happy and screaming along because it was one of my dad's favorite Beatles songs, and I heard it seven million times as a kid. Lastly, when the riff to Yellow Better started, I remember thinking, oh shit, this is the end, isn't it? I hadn't gotten Jeremy that night, but I did get the first taste of a now long career of traveling to see them live all over the world. I hope this show sounds as good as it still does to me, to all of you out there. Thank you, Michael, for sharing that. Awesome stuff. And can't wait to get to your Horizon Profile episode where we get to talk to you about this in full depth and get to learn about your Pearl Jam fandom a little more. But this was a nice taste. Thanks so much, Michael. Well, with that further ado, why don't we get into this week's question of the week, which is kind of a loaded question. I get that. It wasn't the easiest one to answer, but it kind of fits into what we were talking about last week with six covers being played. There's a lot less covers being played at this show. There's only two, and they come back-to-back in Encore 2. However, there are a lot of Lost Dogs in the show. There's a lot of Versus Song in the show. I believe it got up to five. And it made me think, what are some of those shows that you can remember that have a certain album that's highly, highly, highly represented? And I didn't want people to come up with the full album shows as an answer, because I don't think that that's an answer, because that's deliberate. But 
when you have like four or five no code songs in a show, when you have like six Vitalogy songs in a show, which is from a show that we saw recently, then that feels special. That feels like a kind of a talking point. And even when you get to the 2000s records, if they had done three binaural or three riot act or three, even at this point, three backspacer songs at a show. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to kind of our thoughts on that. And you know, some of the answers that we got here, but yeah, it kind of was a loaded question. Some of your favorite songs that had a specific album that had more songs played than usual. So the first one is pretty easy. This is from Scott McQueen. He says Fresno from this past year, they played nine songs from 10, obviously with Dave Cruzen. So yeah, like that's the obvious one to go to. And obviously if you have him behind the kit, you're going to play all those songs. So it makes a ton of sense. But there's a show. This is a show we covered like a long time ago. This is from Greg Schwab. He said Alpine Valley in 2003 was very versus heavy. Okay. Very cool. And I feel like this show is kind of in the same realm too, like five songs from versus. I would consider that to be heavy. I put out this kind of like a parameter thing for all the records and how much I thought was considered a lot for each. For 10, I think... I mean, they can do eight of those songs in their sleep. So it's like, okay, I think seven or eight, then you're getting too much. Six is almost too easy for them at this point. Like, they can do six probably every show with no problem. Versus Vitalogy, kind of within five and six feels like a lot there. No Code, Yield, No Code, probably three or four considered a decent showing. But I think Yield can probably get to five because you have a lot of main staples in there, like Give It a Fly and and Do the Evolution and kind of fringe staples like Wishlist and a couple other of those songs. And then from 2000s records after the promotional year, I think if you get three from any of those, it's pretty impressive. I've got uh, a couple of good ones. Patrick Bogle from Hallucinogenic Recipe pointed out Jones Beach Night 3 from 2000 had seven from No Code. That's insane. And then it's a night three, you know, you get to the point where he doesn't want to repeat things, and maybe they didn't do that many in night one and night two. And Hale Hale and Lucan weren't part of it. So, yeah, very impressive as he points out. Kudos to Steve Bennett for pointing this one out. Detroit 2003, I guess technically Clarkston night two. Seven Vitology songs and four No Code as the top two albums played that night. That's a really interesting one as well. Yeah, and I have the same one from Greg on Twitter who said, out of a five-song run very early in the set, there were four No Code songs played in that five-song run. Yeah, that was a show that we did a long time ago. I recommend anybody to listen to that. And I think the whole story from that, hell, I'm not going to waste the story go listen to our episode we tell the whole thing about why they played songs that weren't necessarily hits and stuff like that how about this from 2005 that just came in and by the buzzer this is from steven domini halifax 2005 had eight versus songs that's a lot wow it's 31 songs and eight while vitalogy wow. riot act and 10 all have half of that we got Animal, we got Dissident, we got Go, we got Blood. Small Town. Small Town, River Mirror, Glorified G. Daughter. Daughter. Yeah, that's pretty good. So the only ones you're really missing are WMA, Indifference, Leash, Rats. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, hey, right at the buzzer, we got a great answer right there. So thanks yeah, so much. Sure. It was a very tough one this week, but hey. 
you know, sometimes you got to dig deep for the deep cuts, I suppose. But anyway, let's dig into this show. The opener for this one is going to be kind of like last week, a song that really wasn't utilized as the opener a whole lot. And at this point, it had only been the third time that they've used it as an opener, which I think a lot of people would consider this as one of the more common openers than not. But this is the third time they've ever opened with elderly woman behind the counter in a small town. One, two, three, four, two. I seem to familiar, yeah. I can't seem to place it. Can I find a candle of thought to light? I'd seen the place But no one's ever taken me Hearts and thoughts they fade Fade away Hearts and thoughts they fade Fade So for you numbers freaks out there, 29, 29 times is the total amount that they've opened up with this at a show. And I've never seen this as an opener, weirdly enough. I, I, I've always felt like it's more common than that. Like that number to me feels like it should be at at least 50. But what's different about this as an opener in like 2016 is that in 2016, you're kind of introducing it to the crowd. You're getting warmed up. You're testing the crowd for the call and response to see what kind of response they're going to give you for the night. But this in 2003 feels like it's that anthemic version that we talked about last week and it has like a little bit of punch to it. And they're not asking for anybody in the crowd to sing along. It just naturally happens. And it's not a pandering moment or anything like that. So once the crowd gets to the hello section, like they just take off and the band just builds off of that momentum. It sounded excellent. I thought that this was a really good way to open. And again, like they weren't doing it a whole lot at that point. So you don't get this kind of vibe with Small Town as an opener much more after this, I don't think. Yeah, it still has a little bit of the novelty aspect to it where you go to the show and like, you follow along and you kind of know what the openers are and then you get something out of left field and you're like oh cool like this is always going to be a good show like you always get that when you get something unexpected early on it's like, oh what are we in for tonight you know i have seen small town open a show in jacksonville 2016 and it was very very good but that you know the 2010s is more of the anthemic version that we talked about but this one i thought was just kind of nice a little bit folkier before it kind of reminded me a lot of like what a 60s or 70s version of small town would have been like but only the third time opening this leads me to think that like this is ed going off and being like we're gonna get this crowd right behind us from the very beginning and i can totally see this becoming a trend like you said 29 times it's happened a lot more since and yeah it just took off from here i'm sure 
Yeah. Oh no, it did because you you feel it on Hail Hell, you feel it on Save, you feel it on Corduroy. That's off to a raging fast start. Like Hail Hell is a fireball to kick this all off, and it just kind of took off like a rocket on this. Tight and intense, and like it really felt like the band was just moving on it. We talk a little bit about Jeff's ending bass line. We did that pretty recently, where we talked about it. it's back here and sounds oh. really, really good here. This is, I think, even better than the last one that we talked about. This is something different than I've heard him do before. Yeah, it's just completely like counter melody. Sounds perfect. Accents everything perfectly. Very, very good. You get a little taste of how Ed's feeling because you know if you fucking let me. So you know he's a little bit worked up on on this night too. Oh yeah, from a Jeff standpoint, like you can hear him really well at this show. I didn't think you can hear him as well last week, but there's moments where Jeff is very prominent in the mix, and you can just tell, like, okay, the bass is helping move the song, and it'll come up a little bit as we go along. Save You, I mean, every week we've talked about Save You, and at this point, they just have it down pat. They know what we're doing with it. Edge shredding through his vocals. It's Stone taking control on the solo. And it keeps going, and it's going to be their most played song from Riot Act on this whole entire tour. And I think it's too obvious as to why. Yeah, you mentioned it, Ed. I thought especially had a really good performance on this. Just yeah, those vocals. He just went for it with no thoughts of tomorrow or the next day or anything. And he just can't do that anymore with this song. But this opening one, two, three here, and even into the next one is almost perfect like i'll take this any show like totally gets the crowd going get a little bit of a deep cut in hail hail and then yeah it's it's perfect yeah what i really really like is corduroy is going to be like the big one from this section what i really really like is how tight and just how much momentum they're bringing into the songs that kind of build to the bigger moments like hail hail and save you both were just on fire and then once you get to corduroy that one felt like a massive arena rock moment where everybody is kind of going crazy and everybody knows the words and and it feels like it happens at certain points in the set where those songs are just elevated by what's coming before it and yeah corduroy absolutely takes advantage of all that unfortunately there is no video for this show but i mean one of the best compliments that i can give it without video is that during this bridge up into the solo like i envisioned the whole entire band huddling up together and that's how much they were clicking on this there's something about this that feels really good even for corduroy where there's a thousand really good versions like this one especially just feels like it's on point yeah i love to how ed intros it with that little slide down the guitar neck like i'm just gonna play around with this a little bit and mess that with was everybody. pretty cool yeah yeah and then i noticed too there's a lot of little like flourishes from mike and matt there's one where in between like a little lead mike has a thing goes like do 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 like just little things that you don't even hear normally on, on different versions that we listen to but yeah it felt like they like yeah you mentioned with hell hell and save you are both like all just attack and then corduroy really built off of that and the ending is awesome as well. Cameron just pounding at those drums at the end sounded very, very good. And, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the way that they're transitioning from section to section. It just felt seamless. 
It felt really smooth, and it felt like every time they were making that transition, they were just surging even more. Like, that's what makes a really, really good version of Corduroy stand out. And yeah, this is one of the best performances of this night. I absolutely agree. The next section is going to be Insignificance, Crop Duster, and Daughter. And I think Insignificance especially is definitely a benefactor of the last three and how well they were played and how much attack there was on it. Like it's significance picks off from that point and, and builds its own momentum. And you bring that into crop duster, which I can get into in a sec, but yeah, insignificance felt really tight, really good ending. There was a little bit of a stone solo sound that happens like before that part in the bridge that sounded really, really good. And did you did you notice that? What'd you think of that? I was too busy like listening to Jeff and Matt. There's that build at the end right before it breaks. I think what part you're talking about. Listen to Jeff and Matt together. A rhythm section just doesn't get better than that. You hear Matt doing some harmonies on this as well too early on, which is very cool. Everybody's working and doing their own thing, and it's just elevating everybody else in the band and making them better. But, you know, Crop Duster kind of following off on that, like... Crop Duster is usually one of these songs where I'm waiting for the ending. Like, I know the ending is going to be pretty explosive. Like, the beginning and kind of the first couple verses can meander a little bit at times and kind of feel like, okay, you know, you're just kind of watching the song develop and it's not a big star-making moment or anything like that, but it's fine. And in this, it really felt like they had built up so much from the last handful of songs that Crop Duster benefited from all this too. It sounded like a version that was way more inspired than other versions that we've seen in the past on this. And yeah, this is the era to get Crop Duster, obviously, but Crop Duster just had a little bit more juice to it than it usually does. Yeah, I can see that. It's another one that like you almost always see it in in this spot, kind of not the first four or five, but before the the middle is set in that like five, six, seven, eight spot. It serves very well as like a bridge to get to what's going to come next usually. But I think you're right. Yeah, from what I've heard, like the whole band is playing really well. Everybody sounds really tight. So yeah, something like Crop Duster, which later on can be definitely hit or miss and more just doesn't appear at all. It's going to sound really good. Ed says, thank you, good evening, Steel Town on a Saturday night. That's all he says. And that's going to get you into Daughter. And there was something I noticed that was really, really cool in this. And I don't know, because it feels like there's still some guitar going on in this, and maybe it's kind of on the back half of this. But when they break out of the solo and they go into where that bridge kind of just stops before it kind of develops and, and gives you a full chorus you get that moment and it's just Ed and Matt and it feels like sometimes you have Stone kind of coming in a little bit with his guitar but that's it it's just Ed and Matt there and it kind of allows the crowd to come in like he just left a little bit of space for them where you're able to hear them so well you don't usually hear the crowd on this part you know there there are other moments like the rise above it moment but like this part doesn't usually feel like a big call and response but i think the crowd just kind of took it upon themselves in a moment here where they were kind of given the reins to go
yeah, I mean, opening up with a small town and then you had a little bit of a murderer's row there early on, I'm sure they were ready to, to sing along with something. And like, Insignificance and Crop Duster are not really sing-alongs. So yeah, by that point, I'm sure they were ready. But another hint as to the politics of the times, you get the line changed that the bombs fall down. It's another little reference to what was about to happen around the world, if you will. And then the tag after that, it, there was no actual tag on it. It just got very instrumental. Yeah. It was a cool jam. And, you know, after like about two minutes, it sort of fades out. It has some length on it and it sounds pretty good, but it's pretty much what you get from it. There's nothing in between. There's no WMA or anything like that, but still pretty cool. Okay, folks, we are at the even flow moment right here. And as I've mentioned on every 2003 show that we do, even flows hot streak this point is in full go it's in full bloom and in the past i I usually went back to philly and said that it kind of started in philly but i have to i'm changing my mind here and i'm gonna say that it started here as like the full-on hot streak for the next five shows after this just yeah mike being a showman just a scorcher a prime example of what it's all about when it comes to exposing his talent. And what I wanted to do, I think this was a a cool idea to get Javier involved in this and get a gear guru segment, which doesn't necessarily focus on just this version. It's focusing on this hot streak run that they're on here. So let's get Javier to talk about why they sounded so good with it at this time at the end of the first U.S. leg. John. Hey everyone in the podcast. So we're going to do something a little bit different this week. I know that we have been covering a lot from 2003, but we're going to focus specifically in this unreal hot streak that even Flo had for five, six shows in a row. I know that always Mike gets the cherry of the pie, right? He's the one doing the solos. He's the one having his moment in the song. But let's just give so much love, a lot of love to Stone, to Jeff, to Matt. These guys are the ones behind making the song more intense or allowing Mike to get all this crazy solo stuff in the front. Specifically, Matt in the way that he will be attacking the right cymbal or Stone leaving the notes a little bit more open or playing the arpeggio or plucking the strings a little bit more intense. Jeff, same thing when he will start to follow Stone making the same notes, playing the same notes. Basically, you will hear that like kind of bluesy rhythm, funky version of Mike just playing on top of them. And when Jeff is doing a different figure on the bass, that's when Mike will go nuts. But yeah, super cool factors that we need to analyze because I know it's always about like, yeah, Mike is great and all that. He is. But those guys in the back are going to make the song more intense and less intense. 
please now allow me to geek out. The equipment that these guys were running at that time was like pretty cool. I love the tone of this tour. Let's run Mike super quick. So Mike was running Fender Basements AB165s as heads, and he was running also Marshall's 412s uh, 1960 AX. That is a super, super, super Fender-ish tone that you're going to get because of the Fender amps, basement heads. And then Stone was running actually a Gentino amp, which is super handmade and custom through a Marshall 4x12 and then a Savage combo. I know for a fact that Stone was running all the overdrives through a Trentino amp, which is a Fender-ish amp. That's why you get this very bass-driven focus tone and it's not as high spark mid-range like a Marshall or it's not going to get that edge or it's not that distorted. And the way that we're both pushing the amps is they're always going to be running the amp at the edge of breakup, meaning right about that distortion, that right about that overdrive, and that's where the volume knob stops. They will be pushing the amps with maybe Blues Drivers, TS9s by Ibanez, uh, Tuba Screamers, and then the infamous Dunlop Wah 535Q, which is a Wah that it will give you like seven different options or six different options to play with. So yeah, that's coming about even for this week. Hope you guys like it. Thank you, Javi. That was great yeah, stuff as you. always. And I, I mean, this song is just an absolute onslaught. Like the best stretch for even flow and of Mike McCready of all time. Like I have no problem saying that. Yeah, he absolutely just comes in searing like red hot. And it does get a little weird. Like they kind of goes off into space out in left field and then they just kind of meander for a little bit, which which I always like as well. Like the straight up, like just shredding, you know, Van Halen versions, like yes, technically good, but that, that doesn't do anything for me. But give me something that gets a little weird and does something a little different and, and you've got me in this one have a little bit of that. Yeah, for sure. The next duo that we have here, it's Yield into Vitalogy, Faithful into Whipping. Good versions of both these songs. Still a lot of energy out there. The Bridge of Faithful was really impressive. And Stone's putting in some more flourishes, like I mentioned before. Whipping was an absolute pile driver. Like, it's vicious speed and force on this version. What would you think about these two? Yeah, we talked about Whipping, I think, right last week, where it was kind of like... You talked about how it was just really unexpected right there, kind of in the late middle of the This is the same exact thing, right? Yeah, reminded me a lot of the same things. Like, okay, you get daughter, even flow faith. You're like, okay, we're going to try to transition into this latter part of the set. Maybe a wish list or something is coming next. Maybe love boat captain, which those do come later. But all all of a sudden, it's like whipping comes on. Oh, shit. Okay, I'm awake now. They can still pull that out. Yeah, it was very good. There was a little bit of guitar issues at the beginning of Faithful, but they do get that worked out. Yeah, a little bit of choppy moments, but nothing egregious or anything like that. Let's get into Immortality. Now, this one is really intriguing right off the bat, because when you think of 2003, Immortality doesn't really have a big presence in this year. This is only the fourth time that they played it whole tour, and it's only going to be played, I think, ten more times in the whole entire year when you look at other Vitalogy songs, Corduroy and yeah, Not For You. four more and, times for Corduroy. Right, right, right. Yeah, so Immortality being one of these songs that I think all of us go back to and are just absolutely floored by any time that it comes on, you know, you do need this more often. However, in this era, 
I guess because you don't have it, it's the idea that Mike can go full out on this. And in that aspect, how it all unraveled was very, very interesting. So you get to the middle part, you get to where his solo is, and he starts off, he's kind of doing a little bluesy thing. Everything just keeps, everything just keeps building off of the last. It has you locked in, and I was listening to this in the car, so I'm not in the same mindset that I am taking notes. This is just Randy enjoying music here. And the whole entire time, as it was progressing and as it was progressing, I kept saying to myself, because it wasn't the same time frame that they usually get to that big solo. It took a little longer to get there. I kept saying, come on, Mikey, come on, Mikey, come on. But then when you get to that moment, you're like, yes, that's exactly what immortality is right there. That's Mike going off and he gets to that point so perfectly and really kind of builds suspense in getting in there. the shit out of that acoustic guitar listen to stone on that rhythm on the acoustic just how he can keep that rhythm going while playing so fast is very, very impressive i thought stone was definitely on the zone giving mike a run for it on this one yeah i noticed that more at the end of the song kind of when they're jamming at the end rather than in other parts like yeah, the or anything but i really like the ending part just as much as i loved getting to the solo and getting to the big moment but the, the reason why I liked it is because every piece involved with this sounds like something the band would do in like Rearview Mirror, where it gets very Who-centric, and Matt's kind of going off, kind of doing a Keith Moon type thing, and like I mentioned with Stone, like he's strumming incredibly hard, and like you have all these different pieces going at you that it feels like one of those really, really good Who jams. And especially because they have taken that influence of the Who and put it into Rear Mirror, it reminded me a lot of that. Interesting, yeah. Again, how has this only been played 174 times? Like, should be three times that. Seems unfair to the patrons I pay for to watch you guys. <laughs> we did do an Evolution episode on this one for the patrons out there, which is definitely worth your time. Absolutely is. Amazing rendition. Sure, we'll talk about it later. All right, let's get into blood here. And what Ed's going to say after blood kind of fits into a little bit of a talking point. And he says, normally this is a song at the end of the set because it's pretty hard to sing anything after that. So we thank you for coming. So thank you and good night. And he's kind of joking around about that. But yeah, blood is the 12th song in is weird. It's weird seeing it here because you would think that it's a set closer or penultimate. I believe it was penultimate main set last week. 
And yeah. as Ed says here, like this is one that they saved because he needs to have all that vocal power. And Blood in 1993 would get played sometimes as early as the second or third song in at some points. But that's a completely different era. This Blood, just very interesting because after this, there's no discernible difference between Ed's voice. Like you're still hearing all the power that he usually has. But if they were to do that, maybe like three or four years later in this part of the set, I don't know if Ed holds up the whole entire show. Oh yeah, you never, never see this this early, maybe ever again. Because like, yeah, in, in years after this, you get it probably near the end of the encore. And it wouldn't be the same version, but he definitely still sounds worked up on this. I don't know. I couldn't hear who he's yelling fuck you at. Sounded it's like maybe, yeah, Sean, maybe, but that uh, I couldn't think of a Sean, but except the Fox News that's going to get hinted at later. I didn't know if that was the reference or if it was something else, but yeah, he's just screaming fuck you at someone, like a lot of intensity for 2003. That's another thing that sticks out from these shows is like, you think of this year as more of like, you know, the modern kind of maturing era of Pearl Jam, but they still had some fire, especially in these April shows. That's why if you look at sets and years after this, Blood is not within the set as much as it was. You barely see it in almost back-to-back shows like this was there's only one in between like that's pretty normal for this era but you go to 2006 and it might last about 10 shows before they bring it back so yeah this is kind of like entering a different age of this song that is not going to be anything like what you remember it from the Dave A years so as I kind of mentioned yeah he says we usually do it at the end of the set and he kind of teases so thanks for coming thank you good night crowd booze but he says i'm just kidding this throat's made of steel because it came from pittsburgh we got steel vocal cords and iron tempo and you can't beat that mike and stone listen to a lot of metal so we're pretty galvanized here then ed calls on mike to give us a little nitro so he shreds for about three seconds gets a nice chant after that and i'm guessing it's probably from an 80s band called nitro don't really have much information on that but that's kind of sounds like what it's attributed to there yeah if you're, if you're looking for 80s metal references you're in you're in the wrong place here but correct i have to think that that's probably what it was 80s punk we're there for you yeah, 80s yeah. metal mm, just not our bad guys and he says hey he can do that he can also write songs the next one he wrote the music for i don't know why but this song ended up as a b-side it should have been on the main album this song is about keeping your strength and keeping hope alive i believe the last time we did down was the west palm beach show and i believe there was no intro into that or anything at all but i said ed would go on to say that a lot during this whole entire year so right there perfect example that's going to get you into down love boat captain package together and yeah everything's sounding really really good here ed kind of missed the breakdown on down but in doing that he busts that like that big hey like na 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 hey like he holds that out what seems like forever but that sounded really good Love Boat Captain is a jam. It just fits right in with those other impassioned versions that we've talked a lot about, especially on what, John? On the Evolution episode that is out right now. That's correct. So we'll do a quick plug for Patreon right here. Yeah, as you mentioned, kind of with Immortality before, 
yeah, Love Boat Captain is our current Evolution episode that's out. We do have a sample of this that we posted on our social media pages, so go and check that out. But for anybody that does want to hear the full two hours and 12 minutes of this, head on over to patreon.com slash live on four legs and pitch in a monthly donation and that will get you in and listening to this i both promise it's it's very very worth it and hope you guys that have listened really enjoy it so what do you got to say about either of those i like down a lot and then again down is unreleased at this point lost dogs not out yet so you're getting an unreleased song which is very cool and probably won't ever happen again Lobo Captain, I thought we, you know, we just, we talked about a lot of 2003 versions on that Evolution episode. Uh, I thought this one was very good. You could tell it was one where Ed was building up with the crowd and, and trying to get that response. Still, you know, early on in the history of the song, but definitely on the road to build something very good. Yeah, and there was something cool from Boom at the end. It felt like instead of going back to that very baritone, bassy, very B3 type sound, he went into kind of like a full baseball organ sound at the end there, which was very interesting, much more high-pitched than what he usually does. But Ed, after that, adds in a, we can sing it loud enough, which was a nice touch, but the ending didn't last too, too long on this. So, all right, I think we got to get into Wishlist right here because this is a, a, another huge highlight from this night. And, you know, starting the whole thing off, like, he fucks up the first lyric and he says, I'd sabotage myself, I wouldn't go off instead of the neutron bomb. And then he has a nice moment, hands up raised open towards the sky and looking at the crowd, doing the call and response moment. He said, you guys got it. There's a lyric change here that's kind of befitting of the hometown because he changes the words to, I wish I was as fortunate as Clemente. So that's a cool little change there. But I think it all comes within the tag of what we need to talk about. There's a lot of very, very cool Ebo stuff that's going on here. Crowd gave that a great reaction. And then you might think at some point that that would be over, but it's just getting started. And, and in my mind, I kind of felt like the same way that they went into the tag for Why Can't I Touch It happened in the same manner. So I was sort of expecting that, but Buzzcox didn't open up the show, Sparta did. So. What followed was pretty much a perfect definition for what Pearl Jam stood for in 2003. I wish I controlled the TV. I wish I controlled the newspaper. Wish I controlled the media So I could put forth the truth We got the right to know the truth All the stuff between the lines Everyone's so good at telling lies The more I read, the more I need The truth, that is what I need The more I see, the more I need The truth, 
part of this I thought he at one point he kind of lets it because give me some truth like he's working off of that looking at this they had only just brought back give me some truth maybe about 10 days before this in Raleigh for the first time in 2003 that's another cover that you know you think of as being of that time and they would bring it back in you know state college is a big one and then a few more times throughout the year so I wonder if he was listening to a lot of give me some truth working on covering it and then kind of took off on that for this improv but yeah I love this version of wishlist one of the best I think there's no doubt about it that that song was on his mind and he saw a statement in it he wanted to make that same exact statement and he saw it in the garden show too you know the dvd it's it's on there so The reason why I really love that speech and that improv is because of where we are right now. You mentioned Fox News and this and all of what Ed's saying right here. Yeah, at the time it was geared towards the war. But this feels like you listen to it in 2023 and last week we just had the settlement. And it just reminded me again of the same shit that Fox News has been doing for a long time. Just getting away with lying to people feels like nothing has ever changed. Even the amount of money that they'd have to pay to Dominion probably is not going to change how they go about their product. And, you know, it still leaves us in this position of, well, now more people than ever are believing this to be true believing in their lies and they've admitted to their lies and yet there's still people out there that take it as the golden word we as a society have a long way to go before we figure this the fuck out that's why these words just absolutely hit me in the closest way possible All right, we're going to get into two more in the main set. We got Better Man, and then we're going to get Go to finish us off. But Better Man is the one where, as the set kind of went along, we saw a version in West Palm Beach where they were trying to get the crowd involved, and like that got very intense at the end. He was going, George Bush, George Bush, and like that got very good. But last week's was a little more... I guess you would say pedestrian when it comes to this song. It didn't feel like it took all that rage and energy. But now we're back to that. We're back to Ed giving the crowd the mic. We're back to evolving off of that and figuring out what you have within this song that is a massive hit and one that every casual fan that's going in that tour year is going to know and is going to sing along with the rest of the crowd. They even get to a spot here where it's right before they get into the chorus and the crowd just erupts. 
and it gives him the spot. He's like, okay, here's your cue. And nobody hits that spot. So he has to kind of start it off for everybody to get back into that because he was trying to give them rain. It's a very, very, very good moment. This is another one, riding high off a big wave of momentum, a big stopping point, and has a great jam at the end, big, loud, don't let me down. It's been a very, very good main set, and this helped it. Yeah, Ed really holding a lot of notes there at the end, a voice still in very fine form. There's a moment in this that I thought was really cool, and it kind of like made me sit up and kind of take notice. When he's playing those chords at the beginning, and he usually just kind of does a gentle strum to kind of like accompany the crowd when they're singing along, but he's so excited by the response from the crowd, and he's into it. One of those chords, instead of just doing the gentle like, he hits it hard and like lets it ring out, like strums it kind of hard. And I was like, wait, what is that? And it's the same way that the Kids Are Alright opens with that chord that starts the Kids Are Alright. It's that same note. I didn't look it up to see what note it was. Probably a G or a C or something. I know it's just one of those coincidences, but still, like, their history with the Who, like, Kids Are Alright. I thought that was very cool. Yeah, I don't know if it's that much of a coincidence. I think that there is some element of inspiration in there. Or it could just be one of those things where Ed just has that chord in his mind all the oh, time. Yeah, we I'm sure it's, one, it's like a common power chord, probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good call on that. Yeah. We're closing off with Go here. The only thing I really have on this is that it felt like the composition was a little unique and felt like there was like a little stop instead of the it felt like it kind of had that little pause I don't know if you caught that at all but it's just a different way of skinning a cat, I suppose. Yeah, it could be just a thing that Stone and Matt worked on, like just give it a little bit of extra you know, accent being the last song of the set. Hey, good performance, though. Two stunning solos yet again. Mike is doing everything he can to be the MVP of the show, and who, who are we to argue? So it's a big-time performance to close out a killer main set. And now we're at the encore, so let's pause for station identification and kind of repeat some of the things that we mentioned so yeah the big thing that's going on on patreon right now is the love boat captain episode and yeah it just takes so much work to put in the time to research and we had this planned since january and it took us till almost may to put this out that should tell you what it takes to do this and then all the editing that john did for it like you want to walk them through like what is a day in the life of an evolution series episode oh man like 
Yeah, it's going through, you know, finding all the versions that we talked about. Like, it's one thing to talk about it. And like, we can get to the point where we can describe these things pretty well and give you guys a sense of what you're listening to. But nothing beats getting it from the source. So it's a matter of like, hey, we mentioned this, like, got to go in and find that clip and put it in there. Like, it probably took me five hours of editing for a two hour episode. Yeah, I mean, that's even a little bit impressive in a way. So, I mean, if you guys have been listening to the podcast and you've been supportive on social media and all those other places, we both do this so that we can give you guys really interesting things to think about and see songs in a different light because, you know, this isn't a way that we just kind of came together and said, oh, well, we know exactly what we're doing. We had to study all this. The research is studying and figuring it out all along the way and then putting in that effort to put a full story together. Like That's why I really appreciate everybody that's always says that they're looking forward to these evolution episodes because I, I still think it's the best thing that we do. And, you know, along with the donation and everything like that, if you are looking for more content of ours outside of shows, because I know that sometimes the shows, you know, if you didn't go to it, you might not have any background in it, so you might not listen, but everybody has some connection to the songs. So Love Boat Captain, you go back to any of the old ones too, you can go back to like Footsteps or Release or Immortality or Wash or anything and listen to them and i think you'll get something out of it so we would do one every month if we could but just yeah just the research and the time like we want to make sure we do these right and and really tell the story of the song and you know talk about the whole journey of it and that takes time so yeah we appreciate everyone's patience but this one was a really fun one to do and i'm really looking forward to the next one like hopefully it won't take four or five more months no i'm i'm hoping that we can get this in by the time we do some yield shows because we're going to do a 1998 one and we're going to kind of work off of those years that are having big celebratory anniversaries here. So yeah. we'll do uh, versus one and then we'll actually find a way to do a lightning bolt one m- much later in the year. So I think 2024, that five hour black episode is coming. Mm. <laughs> I think it just needs to be in parts. Yeah. Yeah. Not five hours. You put it all together and you give it the, the super oh, cut. The yeah, end. the super yeah. cut. Right. Director. Yep. All right. Well, after all that, if you feel the need to listen to Love Boat Captain or any of the other Evolution episodes, all it's going to do is cost you a dollar a month, or you can donate to the Gigaleg tier for $5 a month and get your episode request. Anything that you like that we haven't covered before, we can cover for you, dedicated to you, and get your story to tell on the podcast. Or, if you want to take it a step further than that, then on the Horizon Leg tier for $10 a month helps out our website and all of our functions over there. Then you get to do the same thing, have a request, as well as having a profile episode recorded on your fandom. And I know a lot of people would be looking forward to that. So, if that's stuff that you're interested in, the link patreon.com slash live on four legs or go to the patreon app and search for live on four legs or just go to live on four legs.com and click the become a patron button now is the time to do it big content hope you guys really enjoy it would love the feedback as well all right back to the rock ed comes out says just because we're not the type of people who will discriminate you'll understand the body language of this next song and it seems as though they have turned around to the back and played for the people in the back in this. So I 
don't have any recollection as to when this all started, but this has to be a very, very early rendition where they did this. I think so. And I think you're teasing that you want to do a Last Kiss Evolution episode and really find out. I think you have no idea what you're saying because that kind of thing is just, (laughs) yeah, no, no. I want to cover a show and be like, oh, okay, that's the moment because you can't disregard Last Kiss from a show, but you don't have to listen to 150 versions of it if you don't want to. But yeah, I do think this is really early on, and I wonder if this kind of sprung out of some of the bridge school stuff where they would play the bridge school and the kids would be behind. I think they did that one time, was it 99 or 2001 maybe, that they had gone up and played to the kids up at the bridge school. I wonder if that's what it was born out of. Maybe. Yeah, I've seen to remember, and there's a lot of moments where Ed is just looking behind to Maricor and yeah. singing directly to Maricor. Yeah, and I, I think remember one where they all went up there and played. Like, was it all of them? Maybe. I, yeah. I seem to remember Ed definitely doing that, but I don't remember yeah. a full band. But you know, it, yeah, it could have been around this era. And 2003, they they did it again, so it might have been in 2003 for all we right. know. Right. So yeah, last kiss is last kiss. It happens, and Breakerfall also happens as well. Yeah, a little tech issues on the beginning of Breakerfall, but after that, it's all delivering. Mike is really jacked up at the end. The whole ending felt like it had a different vibe. I don't know if you caught that. Just like the pace was pushed a little bit more. Perhaps Stone was doing something a little bit different, but this isn't the version of Breakerfall. And and usually Breakerfall isn't a song where you could say, oh, wow, I absolutely see something different from this than I did from this. Did you see anything out of the norm out of this? Not really that I remember, but you know, you're playing it in an encore and that's rare for break or fall as well. So they've had the whole show to kind of warm up and feel a little more confident with playing around with stuff, especially Cameron on break or fall is the highlight. And you know what? You need a big energy juice kind of song to lead you into these next three, because these next three have such a prominent place in Pearl Jam history altogether. doesn't matter what order it is. It could be reversed, it could be in the perfect order, or it could just be mixed around a little bit like we get in this. But we are getting once, then alive, and then footsteps. So all you need to do is switch out alive and once a spot, which that's the toughest one because alive is usually the one that's going to come at the end that's going to feel like the big moment. But yeah, a once full energy again it felt like ed was really pushing himself at the end of that like sounded really really good to introduce you to this but i don't know if going from once to alive is anything because they're out of order especially is anything that's going to tip off to the fans like hey this is going to happen it can't be right maybe a few but yeah in 2003 i wouldn't be thinking like yeah give me a random mama son trilogy he really doesn't mention either it's not like hey, these three songs go together. We're going to play them right now. Oh, you right. did those two. Here's the third one. Like, there's none of that. So it's opera. just like, if you're paying attention, then you know. And if you don't know, then, hey, you're getting three old songs that you probably like. Now, Alive is another good one to kind of compare to the last couple of weeks as well. Because we've kind of said that Alive has sort of eased back a little more than came back in like a ball of fire. It's not exactly celebratory. But here... I felt a lot more appreciation for this song from both the crowd and the band. And there are little parts where like Ed 
doesn't completely connect with like the hey moments and things like that he kind of does it for a second but just kind of leaves it to the crowd but mike has a really really good solo in this mike sounds terrific and another indication that maybe ed is thinking like okay well this is what it is and we're gonna enjoy it is he does the of course there is kind of sarcastically and screams out fuck afterwards and it feels like this is as close as we've gotten to becoming celebratory and which is weird because we're gonna have two more songs at the end of the set here so this is not like a normal a live spot where it's closing a set or anything like that but maybe that took the pressure off the song a little bit i don't know yeah starting in about 1994 probably through 1998 alive felt kind of small it started out as this like huge anthemic song early on in their career and then it kind of diminished a little bit as time went on they moved on to different things and they just weren't that band anymore but i think in 2003 after the big moment in in seattle at the end of the tour in 2000 you're starting to see it become big again and i think this one has that feel to it. it it felt like a big version it didn't feel diminished it didn't feel reduced it felt like they were being able to open up with it and push it out and make it be a little more inclusive and like work towards it becoming that anthemic song again i think from this like the confidence has to come within the reaction afterwards and there is a massive ovation after the song and if you didn't have that I don't know if they find it within them to make this that big highlight of the night, you know, penultimate song kind of kind of moment, because the crowd is just so appreciative of it, and everybody kind of knows the history of what's going on at the time, and I, I'm sure there are people that are sitting there in the crowd, like, maybe because they played it a couple nights ago, maybe they won't do it tonight, but it seems super appreciated by everybody and they get a really good reaction and and not just that but it seems like one of the skyboxes really enjoyed it too what do you what do you think about that a bunch of them it looked like a bunch of them from what we understand yeah they were like a coordinated effort that they were like flicking their lights on and off really fast making like a strobe light effect you actually hear jeff in the bootleg say like oh like hollywood squares which is a dated reference even in 2003 but yeah going back to a live tune you, know, you mentioned the crowd's reaction kind of taking a part in it like there's no other song in their catalog that the fans have had more of a say in and more of an influence on than alive and like it feels like we've talked about you know all the evolution episodes on this episode so it feels right to talk about alive a little bit too you know alive was about to go but yeah yeah alive was the song that the fans really took on and didn't let the band give up on and really had a big part in the journey of the song and here you can see that that's starting to happen you know the, the crowd's not going to let them kind of lose the train on this song they're going to continue to make it a, a big kind of special moment you see that starting to happen here yeah and they will give in at some point later in june july like you will see that they just give into it and they see all the hands upraised and everything like that they know that the moment is greater than them so all right well to finish off the trilogy here the kind of trilogy i suppose out of order uh we do have footsteps and this is acoustic and a very very early introduction to the harmonica in this song. I think that's kind of the storyline that needs to be focused on here because Lost Dogs hasn't come out yet. We don't know 
about the additional track that was thrown on of the harmonica, which bothers a lot of people and kind of bothers me too. But this is very early on him doing it. Dan played Footsteps a whole lot in 2003, so when he busts out the harmonica, the crowd loves this. And yeah, I mean, the song just resonates with them so much. Has an overall just nice tone, very bluesy, but full harmonica solo, and it does feel like the crowd gave him a sing-along, kind of collaborative moment in this, which Footsteps kind of got to much like we did the evolution of this one too, believe it or not. It got to the celebration much later, as other songs kind of did evolve as fans kind of evolved. So, yeah, this is a very early indication that people were just thrilled to see the addition of the harmonica and everything. It was kind of the novelty of it at the time. Like, you're, you're getting kind of a song, and again, a song that's been kind of reworked and changed a little bit. And this is, I think, full band, too, as opposed to, you know, the way they used to do it with just Ed and Stone and Matt or Ed and Stone and whoever was playing drums. But... It does sound a little more full, I think, having it at the end of the trilogy. I didn't go back and look to see if this was the last time that this actually ended any of the trilogy mix-up plays, but having Footsteps last, I think, after Alive, you, you needed it to be a little more full, and you don't want to bring it down after Alive to something else. I think it makes sense. I mean, yeah, I don't love the harmonica versions. I prefer the kind of original, kind of stark, kind of darker versions, but... It is what it is at this point. I think they've added the harmonica every single time since then. So people love the song. It is one of their best songs from that early era. So yeah, play it. I mean, if I'd been there, I'd have been all into it. Yeah, Footsteps is always cool to get. And actually, with the harmonica change, what's going to come up, and I think this really starts at the Mansfield show a couple months later, is that we're going to see a change in composition of the song. In the harmonica solo, as you can kind of hear is that at the end you notice in newer versions where they go back to the chorus at the end of the harmonica solo section and they don't do that here they go right from the harmonica solo into the actual chorus itself so there is a composition change that will come later that's that's very very cool and it's something that you you just have to listen to to catch but we're going to be doing mansfield at some point in the future and i'm sure that will come up but if you do happen to listen to a couple side by side just keep an ear out for that yeah it makes it a little more anthemic and makes it a little bigger of a moment Speaking of anthemic, speaking of bigger, <laughs> a bigger moment. Yeah. Why not 11 minutes of rear view mirror? This is maybe the best performance from this night. Probably the one that I'll go back to the most. And like we, we've talked about it. And again, 
the evolution episode. We're just going to plug that every time now. But there's different ways that Rear Mirror can go. They kind of pay homage to their influences during it in certain different ways. Like there's ones that are like the Who. There's some that give into more of a psychedelic Beatles influence. There's some that get a little more spacey like Pink Floyd. There's some that get a little bit more jammy like Grateful Dead, whatever. But this one to me is sounds exactly like something that Fugazi would do. And that is right up my alley. I absolutely love this version. the entire thing just keeps just building up and they're holding on to some moments here and you're like waiting for a direction and you're just like listening to him jam and listening to him go and then there's a point where you just kind of get lost in it you're not really thinking about when the baseline is is coming back in like you're just so locked in to what's going on out there because it's just so i mean it's a six minute solo it's insane they almost never do that and once the baseline kind of kicks in, it throws you for a loop because you weren't thinking about it at that point. It's like, oh, well, now I hear Jeff. Oh, okay, all right, well, let's get into the end of the song. But you were so locked into what they were doing on that jam and just sort of the, some of that sound that was emanating from it that you totally forgot about the rest of the song. And then, of course, like, it's going to be a barn burner right afterwards, but just a phenomenal way of putting this all together and i'm sure none of it pre-planned yeah absolutely like uh the hypnotic kind of groove and section there that you just yeah it's easy to just especially in headphones you just kind of like 
oh man, like I just want this to go on for another 20 minutes. It's absolutely epic. There's a version from Buenos Aires, I believe that's 15 oh, yeah. minutes long. That's yeah, 13, probably... 13 or 15, something like that, yeah. Yeah, so at some point we'll talk about that, and that's actually in the River Mirror episode, I believe. Yep. But yeah, just, again, barn burner. two right now yeah i think we can kind of run through this right here there's going to be some stuff to bring up obviously but i think that encore one was definitely the talking point it says on behalf of the band and sparta who again was opening up we thank you so much pittsburgh if i remember right the last two times we played here it was outside a bit rainy and a bit cold who knew that playing inside a melon was going to be so rewarding This is a song that's taken a different kind of meaning. I understood it for something before. Now I see it as something else. Kind of a freedom of speech issue. And that will take you into our package of covers and completely different than last week where we're getting six. We're getting two here. You got to hide your love away and know your rights. Going back on that covers conversation, I think you've got to hide your love away. Well, fine. Great song. Love the Beatles version. It's one that I don't really get too excited about when Ed plays it. It's just kind of, yeah, all right, that's fine, that's cool. But it fits into that category, sort of what we were talking about with Fortunate Son and Comfortably Numb, where like it's never going to be a definitive cover for Pearl Jam, and especially it's just really something that Ed does. So when I think of covers, I don't really attribute this that much to the band. Yeah, are you buying what he's talking about with, oh, yeah, you know, I've kind of found a new meaning with the song. Like, seems like just a pretty straightforward thing. I don't know that, you know, You've Got to Hide Your Love Away has this, like, hidden, deeper meaning. But I guess, you know, that that's the way music is. You know, Pearl Jam would want people to find that in their songs. They always talk about, oh, you know, your interpretation is the most important one. So if he wants to think that, then fine, play it. I mean, it's one that everybody knows and everybody loves. It's just kind of a a sweet love song almost. So it breaks up kind of the intensity a little bit. So a little more of a lighter moment, which some people like, some people want the heavier moments, but some people don't. So it definitely kind of breaks up and it doesn't really work. I think back to back with know your rights. That's, that's a weird transition. Yeah, it was a little tough. One of the other things I, I want to bring up, though, is that there aren't a lot of Ed Harmonica songs. And you get two in this set, like nearly kind of back to back here. Yeah, I don't know the last time, you know, think about the yeah. other songs that they do it on Smile and Harvest Moon. Is there anything else? 
Does Drifton have a harmonica? I don't know if he played on the harmonica live. Probably yeah. did for one or two versions. I mean, there's only been six, I think. Right. Uh, did he ever play harmonica on Off He Goes? I don't think so. It feels like a song that could be open to that, and that's why I thought that. But yeah. I could yeah. be totally wrong. Yeah. But yeah, there aren't a lot of opportunities for him to do so. So another thing to kind of think about. Yeah, Know Your Rights, kind of like last week, great, a lot of intensity. But I think the exciting moment was Ed asking, Pittsburgh, are you ready for number three? That was fun. And outside of that, like it kind of took the same direction as last week. It's not the biggest Clash song. So people aren't going to know the lyrics and really attach to all of it. It didn't catch on like some of the other Pearl Jam centric covers like a sonic reducer or something like that would so all right well here's the bread and butter of the set i suppose it's going to be evolution into porch into lead better and before evolution you can actually hear ed ask evolution i wonder if it wasn't on the set and they were just kind of going off was that was that ed i thought it sounded like someone else it might have been stone it might have been stone anytime i hear somebody talk it's it's ed Especially if it's like away from a mic, like I just yeah, yeah. default to go to Ed. So yeah, I thought it sounded either like Mike or Stone, but yeah, it is off mic a little bit. So he tells the crowd, everybody needs to do their part. It's evolution, maybe. And for the second week in a row, like going back to trends, what we were talking about before, the yeah. this is a continued trend. Ed yep. gets tossed up on the same exact line that he got tossed up on last week's episode. And apparently he's right. Yep. You know, there's a good line change here, and I mentioned he said something about not too bad for being in a melon. And for those that don't know, this venue, which is no longer around anymore, the Penguins have now moved out and built a new igloo, but this is Melon Arena. This That was the name of the arena that they were playing in. He's not just coming up with a random fruit to just say, because he's going to bring it up again. I'm a thief, I'm a liar. This is a melon, sing like a choir. Just funny kind of line changes. We get a first man to shit my pants in there too. So yeah, like Ed on Evolution at this point, this is going to be the song he gets really, really loose on. Kind of mentioned it last week too, that opening the show felt like a version that they would do in the encore. And this was barely similar to what they did during the open in Champagne. Yeah, it's one of those chameleon songs that can work literally anywhere. They can open with it, it can be anywhere in the main set, it can close a set, it can be in an encore. It's just one of those songs that kind of transcends a place in the set list. Uh, Let's talk about Porch real quick. Now, we talked about it kind of being the bluesy intro. I think this version was a little bit less bluesy than Champagne but still was just stone. It was a little faster, but it still kind of had that draw a little bit that intro has turned into. But like that was another thing that maybe that they were just looking to do a little bit more at the time, and it just sort of evolves into something greater. And when it comes to later in the song, that's what the porch intro is going to be. Yeah, and again, similar to Review Mirror, just a really kind of epic, long solo part these two songs especially really stretched out and then you could really tell they were just kind of in a really good groove with them porch especially just again just epic 
and kind of another thing that we mentioned last week too is that 2003 wasn't a big porch year but they right. must have been feeling it at this point that version of porch sounded really good this one sounds really good stone soloing in it so this must be one of the areas where they're like yeah all right give us porch and they were feeling it but it wasn't an every night thing that became the inevitability that we know now well last week we got somebody interrupting ed which prompted him to cross Ledbetter off the set but i guess pittsburgh's a lot nicer than champagne and they still got to have the song here so Ledbetter does close the show and a more respectful crowd in, a more respectful crowd yeah. We do get the lyric changes from Ed. I think that the second verse is a little bit more involved. Ed sings something about seeing his picture and cool Mike solo. What was the feedback at the end? Because I don't know if that was purposeful or not. That sounded like somebody dropped their guitar and all the feedback just piled no, up. I, I think it was. Amp. like uh, you'll, you'll see bands do this as a kind of a last thing, like leave the amps on and just leave it feeding back. As you walk off stage, it creates kind of a cool effect. Yeah, I think that was done on purpose. But according to Five Horizons, evidently the band was jumping around during Yellow Ledbetter, which I can't really picture that as being like one that's going to inspire, you know, leaps and any kind of energy like that. That would have been really mm-hmm. interesting to see. Yeah, it's kind of the more like throw your arm around a buddy and sway kind of song. Yeah, yeah. So again, we don't have video from the show, so we'll never know. But all right, well. That was a great show. Now it's time to pick three really good moments from it, and then we're going to rate the thing. So what do you got? I think you're first this week. Yeah, I think I'm up first this week. My number three is going to be Corduroy. My number two is going to be Wishlist. And my number one is Rearview Mirror. Yeah, I think any other normal show, Rearview Mirror would be in my number one, but there were two things that I thought were a little bit more spectacular than that. So Rearview Mirror is going to get the number three spot here. Wishlist, which I don't think I've ever put in my top three. Maybe it's been on a very rare occasion where I'll do it. It's going to get number two. I loved what they did at the end. It was the perfect thing for what we are going through right now and something I I guess we needed to hear. And number one, it gets picked as number one a whole lot because this song just has such a massive presence in Pearl Jam sets. It's immortality. What a great version. And Mike building that up and, and keeping that suspense up was just nothing short of fantastic. All right, now let's go into a rating. John, what are you thinking about this? I enjoyed listening to this. And, you know, especially I think doing these shows from April 2003 in a row kind of helped and kind of knew a little bit more I was getting into, looked out for things I kind of knew were coming, but was still surprised by some of the things they pulled out. You know, there's some things here that I think I'll definitely go back to, that rearview mirror and wish list especially. I'm going to give this an eight and a half. Very good. Okay. Oh, I love this show. And I was thinking more a little bit higher than that. Man, when I was listening, and I just got to go gut here, because when I was listening to this, I was just thinking, like, they're just on fire for this whole entire set. I think Encore 2 sort of tapered out a little bit. It was fine, but definitely not as strong as the first two sets. But the main set was just, every song just brought it. And great stuff in the encore with the scrambled trilogy and rearview mirror at the end there. 
this was the number that I had when I was listening to the show and kind of got done with it. And I was fine with it. I'm going to go 9.5. I like the right. show a lot. Maybe it's one of those things where like 2003 just gets an edge for me because I love this year and I love sure. performances from this year. So this one just hit really well. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you. It's a good show. Okay. More Pittsburgh to come this year, so we'll see how that goes. We'll be back to these sort of discussions and themes in the near future. You know, think about June, maybe for another Pittsburgh episode, probably like August or something like that. So, But next week, I believe we kind of teed it up, if you listen to the reaction episode on Monday, as to what we were going to do. And we're going to go back a long ways. We're going to go back directly one year, 365 days to the date, to San Diego from last year to talk about the first official Pearl Jam in Pearl Jam show show since 2018. And I'm not discounting what they did in 2021 at all, but this is not a festival. This was the gigaton opener show officially and i think enough time has gone past where we're able to kind of look at it with another eye and and kind of see what's happening and there are a lot of great performances and great stories from this show so i think there will be a lot to talk about i know that for all of you guys that went it's still fresh in your heads and we like to kind of take advantage of that sometimes we're gonna get to talk about another kind of scrambled up mama song yeah at least this one had an order though yeah, like it, yeah. it actually kind of went in actual reverse instead of like just scrambled re- reverse yeah. or, or whatever. But yeah, still fresh in everybody's head. So that's what we're going to touch up on next week. And I think after that, we're going to do another 2022 show again, just to keep things fresh. And since there's a tour coming, everyone's going to be real excited to listen to the most recent stuff. So we just want to give that to you. We're going to get to gush about Quick Escape and Retrograde and all that stuff again. Very exciting. Okay. Thank you again to everybody that went on Apple Podcasts and gave us a nice rating and left a really nice comment. Our goal was 100 for the year. We are at 93. Wow. That was a 21-point increase. That we were at 72 before that. So thank you to everybody for pitching in and doing that. Yeah, it's just great stuff. And our goal is still 100. We'll get to it, I'm sure. But we'll get to it with your help. So if you want to go over to Apple, you can go over, if you're a Spotify listener too, and write us there. Just leave a comment, let us know, and let the people know what you think about the show and what you like and what stories that you like that we told and things like that. Just get other people that might be looking for something like this, a past Pearl Jam memory to go back on and relive. There are people out there that are looking for that. So yeah, just want to make sure that they are in good hands and know that we're going to do our best to do the best recap of it. So we know we have the ability, you know, we have the ability. So that's how we stand with that. All right. I'm about to pass out. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. Although we may be parting ways, miss you already. Miss you always. Yeah, like I just said, I'm about to pass out. I've had a very, very long week, and uh, yeah, hospitals are no fun. I don't recommend them, but I do recommend going to as many stops on this tour as humanly possible. I'll see you in Chicago, Dallas, Fort Worth. John will be following at home, so 
He'll see you then. I'll see you then. But we'll all see you sometime soon. And away we go. 